Five years ago, Stephen King and George Romero, two masters of the macabre, created their hallmark of horror, Creepshow. Many would argue that nothing of significance has happened since. Until now. Maybe you don't get out much. Oh, this is crazy. This is totally crazy. Maybe you're always running late. I gotta go. Or maybe you just have other things on your mind. They gotta make me a movie star. But if you only make it to one scary film all year, make it one you remember all year long. <laughs> Creepshow 2. If you like movies that will keep you stuck to your chair. Stephen King and George Romero have conjured up an all-new creep show. No! It's impossible! Just for you. I mean, what is it? I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. So don't just sit there. I'm gonna swim for it right now. Walk. Run. Swim if you have to. the scares come twice as quickly in I be you creep show two hey everyone and welcome back to the pod and the pendulum your horror movie podcast dedicated to covering every single horror movie franchise one movie in one episode at a time i'm your host mike snoonian joined once again by my co-host jerry smith jerry how are we feeling today feeling spectacular i am so excited about this episode i have been a huge fan of our guests and is writing for over a year now so yeah this is i'm definitely stoked on this one Excellent. And we also are joined once again, uh, part of the crew, Brian Kuiper. Brian, how's it going on your end today? Uh, pretty good, you know, considering everything that's going on. I know. We have a very special guest today. We are joined. Uh, I am joined by uh, Gailey Dreadful's Terry Menard. Terry, how are we doing today? Uh, we're doing pretty good, actually. Um, I'm really looking forward to taking this ride with you, gents. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm tired of, of being stuck at home, but, uh, stuff like this really helps, uh, make the day go by. So thank you so much for having me on. We're so thrilled to have you. We've wanted to have you on for a long time and just, we have not been able to make it work and I know I'm like, fuck it. Like, let's just reach out and see if we can pick a day and a time and who cares, you know, what movie it is and see if we can just get you on the show at this point. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to talking about uh, this movie for sure. Um, mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's something. <laughs> it is a movie. Um, it's no creep show three, thankfully, but it's it's definitely something. We talk about 1987's Creep Show two, um, which Brian, if I remember correct, when we first said we were gonna do Creep Show as a franchise you i think it said like this be your favorite of the bunch well i i know it's not the best movie <laughs> um it's 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 not as good as creep show i mean there's no mm-hmm. doubt about it it's not as polished it's got a lot of issues with it but um i don't know i guess i have a i i just more personally connected with this one mm-hmm. uh, i saw it first um and 
I don't know. Sometimes the one that you see first is the one that you kind of have a special connection with. Sure. Uh, for better or also, worse, you know. Also, speaking on that really quickly, like I kind of have to have Brian's back right here because Creepshow, the first one, is obviously a better film, you know. But as far as like rewatch value, I've always found myself revisiting Creepshow two more. It's like really? you know, ha- Halloween is my favorite film of all time. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that I've seen Halloween for, you know, more because I have, mm-hmm. you know, like there's there's certain there's something about Creepshow, too, that it's it's not as good as the first one by any means whatsoever. But the, like, I just have so much fun with it, even with its flaws. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's just a fun little movie for me. Interesting. Yeah. OK. <laughs> huh. You're like, you're like, so of things here. <laughs> Let me go back and edit two thirds of my notes um, right no, now. No, no, so, no, 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 no. I want to hear. It. Um, no, it's you know, it's I enjoy it. It's a good. It's it's a movie I enjoy. I don't. I'm not sure I would call it a good movie. Um, it's not a classic in the sense that the original Creep Show is, and I think again, like we talked about last week, like that harkens back to me a little bit. Um, and being introduced to the original creep show in the comic book form mm-hmm. and that like kind of graphic novel being passed around amongst like all the third graders and then mm-hmm. eventually getting to see that come to life. So I probably have seen this movie as as often as I've seen the original creep show. Um, and I don't think it was until like a rewatch of it in the past couple years that I started to notice maybe some of the cracks in it. I think it's mm-hmm. one of those movies that had a lot of nostalgia for me. And then totally. sometimes you go back and you are nostalgic. You know, it's like I would not have guessed that I didn't like Friday the 13th Part 8 as little as I do. But that's a movie that now that we've put that one to bed, I'm like, I'm okay if I never watch that movie again. <laughs> right? I think most of us are. Right. But I wouldn't have thought that until rewatching it now like i would have been like oh yeah i loved all of those movies growing up they're masterpieces like who doesn't want to see jason on a very slow moving ferry taking out the world's smallest prom that's that's right up my alley and then you You go and watch it again that makes so much sense because i mean for years and i think right when you're when you were mentioning brian when we first episode or first mentioned this episode brian was like you know i like this one more I think I remember saying the same thing around that time. Mm-hmm. And it's only it's like I've spent years thinking that this movie was just as good as the first one. Because mm-hmm. like I think like you said, nostalgia, I rewatched it this morning <laughs> and I didn't quite think that anymore. But I had yeah, a lot of fun I, with I, it. You I'm know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I did, too. And, uh, um, nostalgia yeah, is a hell of a thing. I drug, also man. watched it last week with my son. So, um yeah, there, there's something to talk about mm-hmm. coming up there. All right, let's yeah, do it. <laughs> I, we'll definitely get into that when we talk the hitchhiker, because we had some very interesting conversations with my nine-year-old daughter when that segment came on. Um, so Terry, tell us a little bit about yourself, or for, tell us a little about Gaily Dreadful and a little bit about yourself and your own background with horror before we dive deep into Creep Show. Introduce yourself to our audience. All right. Uh, yeah. So um, for like I've been... the six people that don't know you because of the overlap. <laughs> that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I've been a horror fan since uh I, my first thought. Like I I can't remember not being a horror fan. I 
grew up on the old Universal Monster movies that my dad would would introduce me to, and uh, it quickly moved from there to uh, stuff like Creepshow and Creepshow Two and Alien, and it just sort of like progressed from from there. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, I started Gaily Dreadful two years ago because uh, I'd been wanting to do it for a long time, and I just never I never knew what what the reaction was going to be um because like i came from like covering like writing about video games and it was such a a negative place to be a Mm -hmm. person that is not um a straight white male (laughs) and um i so i was a little afraid of like proclaiming you know the gaily dreadful and, and trying to break into horror but horror has been uh so welcoming and wonderful and it's it's been great getting to know everybody um so yeah i I, gaily dreadful we write about horror and lgbtq movies and then um i do a podcast uh called scarred for life where we talk to guests about movies that scared you as a kid Mm -hmm. and i love that podcast by the way terry yeah it's fantastic all right gentlemen so this is the follow-up to 1982's George Romero's film, which to this day is the only number one movie that Romero ever had throughout his long career. Why did it take, because this comes out in 1987, why did it take so long for this movie to actually get a sequel? Why did it take so long for Creepshow to actually get a part two? When everything in the 80s is getting like multiple parts, like anything that was even moderately successful becomes a franchise. I think it's I, I think it it goes more along uh, why we didn't immediately is the whole anthology idea because I mean in 2020 I mean there's like you know God knows how many anthologies that come out every year you know and most of them are pretty bad but like I mean in the 80s there really weren't that many I mean there was mm-hmm. you know things like uh, uh, I don't know Dead Time Stories and stuff like that but for the most part Creepshow was kind of ahead of its game. So mm-hmm. I mean I think even though it was a uh, see I can't talk either even though it was a success like I I feel like they maybe didn't know how to market it or mm-hmm. maybe they didn't know how to approach a sequel especially mm-hmm. trying to get the original creative team involved which I mean as we'll talk about was kind of like iffy with this mm-hmm. one. Yeah. yeah, the 80s is weird because you have a lot of anthologies on the small screen. You have things like the Twilight Zone is rebooted. Um, and luckily it was a bit more successful than the movie and that nobody died in the making of the Twilight Zone <laughs> television show. Um, you have Steven Spielberg doing amazing stories, which is not really horror, but more like a blend of science fiction and fantasy. But I remember that being a really big deal when it debuted in the mid eighties on NBC. Um, and then Romero does his own tales from the dark side television show um which you know he was kind of the show i guess i would say the showrunner of that and that has today just the creepiest opening of any genre related television project of all time that music from tales from the dark side and that voiceover still so classic Lives 
in the sunlit world of what he believes to be reality. But there is, unseen by most, an underworld, a place that is just as real, but not as brightly lit. A dark side. Speaking of uh, amazing stories, really quick, just a really short side story. How familiar with that show are you guys? Tales from the Dark Side? Or not Tales from the Dark Side, I mean Amazing Stories. I'm pretty familiar with it. I have to not watch it. Dude, I see. See, I wasn't I, familiar at all. No? No. I watched it when it like when I was a kid, I watched it when it first aired, but I forgot about it entirely. A few years ago, uh I, I went to Rob Galuzzo's house just to hang out and he does this thing and I think it's one of the like sweetest, like most genuine things ever. Any time anyone goes to his house, he'll sit you down and show you like his favorite clips from all the kinds of three D movies he owns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and just like and just like T V episodes that he think you'll he thinks you'll love. Uh, you know, and Galoose has always been such a great person and very instrumental uh, in my life. But like, anyways, he was like, you have to see this Amazing Stories episode. And it, to this day, like, it is one of my favorite episodes of any TV show. Basically, these people are on the set of a monster movie, kind of old Universal with the mummy. And the actor gets replaced for some reason, and a real mummy accidentally makes it onto the set. So everyone's just bossing around this real mummy the entire episode. And it's like <laughs> the funniest the funniest yeah. thing around but yeah, yeah that's, that's a little that's a good one that's a good one brilliant yeah i remember watching that show uh, religiously our whole family uh, would watch that one together which was you know one of those kind of cool things um and we would watch the old twi- the uh, 80s reboot of the twilight zone and uh, the Alfred Hitchcock presents and mm-hmm. those are some of the first things that i remember seeing that really scared me um well that's and, so you know, great like, yeah I'm- yeah, yeah, and it was Sorry. and it was a family thing, which was kind of cool. So it was sort of safe, but scary. Which was yeah, cool. and that kind of goes with Creep Show too. Like, like Mike uh-huh. said, there were so many great anthologies on the small screen. You know, there were those. There was War of the Worlds. Uh, you know, there was and more like episodic anthology stuff, like Freddy's Nightmares or my favorite mm. show that didn't even make it a full season, Nightmare Cafe. Like, still one of my favorite oh, shows I remember of all that time. One. It was great, I, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I loved Freddy's Nightmares growing up, and it really bums me out that there's not like a proper like Blu-ray or DVD re-release of that because I would snap that up in a heartbeat. Dude, I, I bought could. so many bootleg copies of that show at like horror conventions growing <laughs> up. <laughs> like, it, and it, you know, I know it doesn't quite hold up, right? I mean, I know it's like not what a, a quality show, but I just remember like, that would probably give me that warm feeling again yeah. just being like, see I love this yeah it doesn't quite hold up but where else are you going to get a toby hooper directed pilot prequel mm-hmm. to a nightmare on elm street you know what i mean like oh mm-hmm. but yeah i mean there were so many anthologies on the small screen so i get that but i think i think maybe the fact that there were so many on tv maybe made it a little harder for them to market something on the big mm-hmm. screen you know well be yeah. that as it may warner brothers who has the first rights to any sort of follow-up to Creep Show quickly passes, and the rights fall to Roger Corman and New World Cinema. So 
With Corman, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get something that's going to be entertaining, but you're also going to get stuff that's kind of done quick and cheap, right? I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the so with Corman behind the purse strings for Creepshow 2, Romero goes from like an $8 million budget to a $4 million budget very quickly, which means a lot of things are going to get cut. Number one, you lose two of the segments that were planned for Creepshow 2, and very quickly you lose George Romero behind the directing chair. He's like, you know, just not really interested in bringing this one back to life. And if Romero wasn't on board, um, neither was Stephen King at that point. He's not going to, although the three segments are based on Stephen King's stories, including stuff that would have been in Creepshow 1, he doesn't pen the screenplay for screen uh, for creep show two that actually falls to Romero. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, King's in the movie as a truck driver mm-hmm. for a little bit, but like, yeah. there's there's a very noticeable shift I think between the first and the second film. Yeah. And also, I mean, I could totally understand why Romero and King wouldn't necessarily want to come back 100. percent No filmmaker wants to make a movie that's a success. And get approached to do a sequel and be like, oh, here, you know, we're going to do a sequel, but you get half the money yeah, you had right. for the first one. Yeah. You know, like I, I can't imagine being a filmmaker who had a successful movie and like, oh, I have to do a follow up half as good, you know? Exactly. Especially considering, like, even though Creepshow's not um, a big budget movie, every single penny that they got went onto that screen. Like, it's a gorgeous movie Absolutely. to look at. So. And it's one of those things where you're like, how do you cut corners on that? And if you cut corners, you're going to kind of lose a little bit of what, what makes it special overall. Which is kind of why I am glad that the uh, the, the cat segment did not make it into this one, because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, my introduction to this actually came from watching Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I saw that one first before I saw these. And then I noticed Creepshow and I was like, oh, it's kind of like the same thing as as Tales from the Dark Side, even though I didn't realize that Tales from the Dark Side came out, you know, later. And I that's my favorite story from Tales from the Dark Side, to be honest. And mm-hmm. it, I think it I don't know if it would have had the same kind of money spent if they had to split this four million uh, between five as opposed to three. Right. No, it would totally have been really hard to do that. It would have been really hard to do that. I, you know what? Tales from the Dark Side is one of those movies I saw in theaters when it came out. I remember oh, wow. going with my cousin to go see it. Um, but then I don't remember anything from that movie aside from, I think, Christian Slater in the Mummy segment. Oh, my Lord, man. See, there's I, so I, many I, good uh, images in that. Yeah. It's literally like gun to my head. I couldn't tell you anything else about that movie. Granted, it's been 30 years since I've seen it, and I think I'm going to, you know, do a a $4 rental of it over the weekend and and give it a spin. What Tales from the Dark Side is, to me, in a lot of ways, uh, is a film that's closer to Creepshow than Creepshow 2 is even to Creepshow. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. the first creep show, uh, the last episode, we kind of spoke on like how many like stars or horror stars or just genre stars in general are on that screen, and it's so great to watch. Tells from the dark side, I mean, dude, you get like uh, you know Christian Slater, Steve Buscemi, Debbie Harry, uh, you know David Johansson, you know like like so many great actors, and they're just having so much fun in that movie. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the, the Ray Don Chong segment with the gargoyles. Oh, uh, I love that. Uh, oh, it's so good. And like, yeah, like you, Mike, I saw Tales from the Dark Side in the theater, too, by myself. Like, I was nine. <laughs> and I, I walked out of that movie just traumatized for a little mm-hmm. bit because that movie is everything that I think a lot of Creepshow fans kind of wanted with the second one. Yeah. And while while the second one's a lot of fun to me, it's not so much, uh, I think, a true sequel to the first mm-hmm. film, in my opinion. And I'm not trying to be one of those gatekeepers who's like, you know, this is not my creep show. But Tales from the Dark Side feels like the movie that Creepshow yeah. 2 should have been. Well, it's funny. A lot of listeners, and we said we're doing Creepshow, we've gotten like a number of messages like, don't even bother with Creepshow 3, just watch Tales from the Dark Side. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's yeah. like, well, that would be cheating, so we can't really do that. But thanks for the warning. Um, <laughs> like, that would be cheating, but OK. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this be maybe. So um, I'm really dreading Creepshow 3, man. I am really, yeah. really I've never even seen it. I didn't even realize there was a third one. <laughs> yeah. Until I was doing oh. research for this. I haven't seen I honestly I haven't seen Creepshow 3 yet but I also uh I'm alone here I haven't seen Tales from the Dark Side. Um so that's one that I definitely needed. I don't know See, why. It's one of those weird ones that it's like why haven't I seen this movie? I I have a, a friend that is in Creepshow 3 and we were at, at a bar once and a, another friend of mine came and he made the mistake of telling that friend, "Oh yeah, Creepshow 3, man. I like that one." And he goes, "No you don't." <laughs> I just called him out right there. Wow. Like, <laughs> he's like, I don't even know. So, uh, well, there's there's two segments that you cut. One of them we just talked about, Cat from Hell. The other is Pinfall. And I'm, you know, I am really bummed, like, reading about this one and doing research for the show. It's a real bummer that this one was cut because yeah. it yeah. strikes me as, like, it would fit right in with the classic like creep show mythos. It would really, Definitely. you know, you have like a zombie, you have basically two bowling teams. One of them being like this kind of bunch of like drunken to just go and get shit faced and bowl, which is really how you go enjoy bowling. And then you have like another team of uh, upright citizens that take it really serious and caught in the middle is some eccentric billionaire who dies in a freak bowling accident, as you do. Um, and in his will, freak he leaves bowling. his billions to who, whatever bowling team wins the league championship between the two of them. Um, and it pays off with, like, zombie bowling and, um, you know, severed heads being rolled and severed limbs being used as the pins. Uh, it's included in the Creep Show 2 special edition Blu-ray that I believe Arrow put out mm-hmm. a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But it was never filmed. And it's one of those things, now that Shudder is doing the Creep Show TV show, like, why not do that as one of your segments? Yeah. You know, like, Fingers crossed. No, but Nick- also, uh, the Creep Show TV show, I mean, th- th- I loved that show so much, and mm-hmm. I'll defend it to the end, but there are definite budget constraints on that show. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Nicotero has said that. Like, there's a lot of stories that they wanted to do, but just budget-wise, they can't. Yeah. So I feel like that's the only thing really holding that show back. Well, and I feel like something like that would be so perfect for that if they could actually get a decent budget for it. What's yeah. interesting is I think the second season of Creep Show is going to debut on AMC. 
and oh. then it's going to move to Shudder, oh. which is what they did with uh, the Nosferatu TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might up the budget a little bit as well. Maybe you can do some other stories, but um, yeah, John Squires from um, Bloody Disgusting. I'm trying to almost confuse him with Daily Sense, Deadly. Dread Central for a second. John Squires actually has a really good article in one of his old blogs called Halloween Love that kind of dives deep into the history behind Pinfall and what the story would have been. And it just sounds like so much fun. Mm-hmm. No, so, I'd love to see that. So what would we have thought of Tom Savini in the directing chair for Creepshow 2? You know, I, I would have been fine with it. I, I'm such a huge fan of his Night of the Living Dead remake. Mm-hmm. Like, like, dude, I love that movie. And I think I think Savini is very talented as a director, mm-hmm. you know? I it's, it's kind of a bummer to me that his role in this movie is just to, you know, like point his fingers in, a, in you know, in, in makeup and yeah. move around throwing newspapers. But, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would have been. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not a really big fan of the directing in this movie. I don't think it's uh, even though the director is the cinematographer from the first one, from what mm-hmm. I understand. I don't. It just it doesn't feel it doesn't have the same energy. Um, and I think a, a Tom Savini directed one would have been fascinating to watch. Especially since Savini has such a huge background in like theater and acting. Yeah. I mean, we always think of him as like special effects, and rightfully so. He's a maverick and a legend. But at the same time, and, you know, our, our horror listeners will probably be like, what the hell? But, like, you watch a film like Perks of Being a Wallflower, yep. and Savini just steals every scene he's in. He's a great actor. He really you know? is. And, and I feel like when you're a great actor and you have such a big background in acting, directing is, you know, an extension of that in some ways. And I feel like Savini would have been perfect for this movie. Yeah, and I think he would have brought more, I think, more life to the thing. And like you said, like he, he can go big with it. And having that that theater background definitely helps because, you know, these are very lurid. They're very campy. They're very over-the-top stories. And, Terry, to your point, I think that these are played very, like, for the most part, um, played pretty flat overall. Yeah, it's very um, straight when, like, I, I'm glad that you, you say the campy because, like, the only time I ever really saw that was in the third segment that we'll, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get to. But like, other than that, there is like a playfully a playful vibe that that you can feel coming out of the script that I just don't think right. was translated to the the final product. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and the, the directing duties here fall to Michael Gornick. He's part of that Romero film stable. I mean, he is the cinematographer for Creepshow. He's the cinematographer for Day of the Dead. Um, most of his actual directing history comes out of television. Yeah. Uh, he did do multiple episodes of Tales from the Dark Side as well as uh, Monsters. So really he owes a lot of the work he gets to George Romero. He did a lot of uh, producing, it looks like, for Monsters mm-hmm. as well. And I found a little interesting thing about the television show Monsters because I was looking to see which episodes he directed and I couldn't really find them, but I did find that there was another director on that show named Gerald Cotts, mm-hmm. who worked under the name Jerry Smith. Oh, shit, I've been found. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I directed that when I was found. seven. <laughs> I, I mean, did it for Snickers. How's that for random trivia for you? <laughs> Jeez, man. Funny oh, little thing, that name, that name is so common 
in fourth grade, a police officer showed up at my house and was going to arrest my dad for kidnapping. What? And he, he had to show <laughs> documentation that I wasn't the Jerry Smith that was kidnapped. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit, are you serious? Yeah, 100%. Oh dude. Um, were you tempted to be like, I don't know who this guy is? Oh, dude, I should have played along, right? <laughs> when Ada was really young, I was trying to train her. Like, if you go to the store with mom, make sure that you scream out, you're not my mom, help, help, you know? <laughs> uh, Oh, and man. just yell it's... stranger, straight yell stranger danger when stranger you're in the danger. carriage. See, it's funny how kids' minds work because I, you know, I should have done that when I was a kid. I should have sold mm-hmm. my dad out. My daughter, I, I picked her up. I think it was like 2007, so she was at kindergarten, first grade. I picked her up, and the teacher was looking at me all weird, kind of like let down. And I picked my daughter up, and I was just like, "Why is your teacher looking at me that way?" And she's like, "Well, I told my my teacher that my dad was George Clooney." <laughs> she had she had no idea who George Clooney was, but I think she maybe heard heard me say that voice or that name. And then like I had the worst looks. I was like, "Sorry, sorry, I'm not George Clooney." <laughs> too bad. That's too bad. Why would your teacher think that, though? Why would her teacher? Yeah, Visalia. Like, I live in, like, like Bible Belt, Central Valley of California. Oh, like, there's no, yeah, fucking idiot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. So here's my question, guys, in yes. terms of how we want to proceed. Do we want to jump through the differences between one and two a little bit, or should we just go into the segments first and then circle back to that? I think if we go through the segments, it will kind of lead into the differences. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. All right. So we start off with Chief Woodenhead. Um, the uh, tale of like a small, desolate old west town, which is like dying on the vine, and you're looking at a shopkeeper, um, Oscar winner George Kennedy from Cool Hand Luke, um, who is the second connection to the Naked Gun series, uh, in the Creep Show franchise, as he plays like the beleaguered chief of police. And, no, th- yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, no, no. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of that guy. Yeah. I mean, he's it's you know, he's great. I think this is an example, uh, unfortunately, when watching this movie, like, it feels a little bit padded. Um, yeah. It takes oh. a long time to get where it's going. That was one of my, my notes in this, is that it just, it takes her to go, and then once it does, it's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This, no, if, if there's one segment out of this entire film that, I mean, I enjoy it, for what it is, but if there's one segment that I I, I would be like, yeah, you could take that one out. It would yeah. be Chief Woodenhead, because yeah. what you get is George Kennedy and Dorothy Lamore kind of arguing back and forth for about 10, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and then out of out of nowhere, you know, the heavies arrive, and then it's over in like I think two or three minutes. Right. Like, yeah, it's over so quickly. Yeah, it's just like you you really don't get anything. Like I I wish it, we would have had more having to do with the relationship between George Kennedy's role and, you know, the, the head of the tribe that has this mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, debt and that kind of stuff, more development with that, or even like out of nowhere, these heavies show up, you know, and you know, nothing about them. There's like a throwaway line that he used to be part of the tribe or something like that, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of pointless. You know, it's, it's not the strangers to like, you know, why are you here? You know, what are you doing this because you're here? It just happens out of nowhere. Right. And another thing that's so weird that they don't go into really at all is the fact that if you look at the at the um, at the credits on this, um, the 
the head of the of the tribe and then Sam Whitemoon, they both have the same last name, so they're apparently yeah, father they're and son, or related in some way, and it, and it's just well, like they are. This it's his uncle. Really, huh? Yeah. Is uh, is Sam is Ben's? That's right. That's right. It's it's but it doesn't. Like, it, your uncle would be so disappointed in that's you. Right. Like, that's right. That's yeah, right. It's fuck. just, but it's just mm-hmm. very throwaway though. There's not. There's not a sense of, of that being of any real import at all. I hate to say it, too. The moment when, like, Ben gives Ray um, the valuables of the tribe and says, hold on to these for, like, two years, there's a couple things wrong with that. Like, number one, like, how is poor Ray supposed to survive? Like, great, <laughs> you'll pay me in two years. Like, I can't make my rent, like, right now. Um, but in two years, I get to keep your stuff. That'll be fan-fucking-tastic. I guess we can eat, like, the canned vegetables that are in the window. But the other thing is, like, <laughs> when he shows off the valuables, like, I'm looking and I'm like, man, Harbin could have done a little bit better, because I, I would have been like, I can't get 20 bucks for this. Like, there's nothing in here that looks that valuable to me right now. Yeah, it looks so, like they got it out of a kiosk at the mall. I, I know. <laughs> And it's like it's like you know yeah like you're saying it's cool that he could you know in two years you can have this it's, but it's like dude what is this necklace gonna help me I'm starving right you know? <laughs> no, you know? I mean no so, disrespect but <laughs> yeah so to an end I'm like I don't think that like this is not a great I guess you know the fact that Ray is so not only willing to take that deal but grateful for that deal maybe plays a lot into understanding why that business is going right down the shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so we're the oh. folks, the actual villains now. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's no, what's but, interesting. Cause it was, good? No, you go ahead. Bro. We'll come oh, back. No, I, 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 I was just going to say that, like, I think where this story picks up, and unfortunately where it picks up, because it really doesn't go anywhere once it picks up, is when the place is robbed by these three hooligans mm-hmm. who in real life would not be caught dead hanging out. And no. that is that is that is one of my favorite things about this movie, and it's also one of the biggest flaws, is that the way that the characters are written are very different than the people that got to play the characters in this <laughs> film. Mm. You know, like... Like it's it's like the group's headed by the you know very arrogant you know Holt McCallany, uh played role, uh, which Who, is insane. By right? the way, I was this many days old when I learned that Holt McCallany went on to play Bill Tench in David Fincher's Netflix series Mindhunter. Oh like, shit! I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Number yep. one, holy blackface, George Romero. Like Jesus yeah. Christ, you could not find a. I mean, you get this like super Irish dude to play a Native American, and that's just not a good look. Um, not at all. But see, the I, fact that like, holy okay. shit, Bill fucking Tench playing this role, like in my mind, I literally had to call my wife upstairs, like screaming, "You have to come see this!" And she's like, "Holy shit!" So, well, even yeah. as a kid, yeah. even as a kid seeing Creep Show too, I felt like something was different about that character because mm-hmm. like he didn't seem authentically native american at no. all 
Like no. it feels very weird. Like it feels like sun tanning or like fake tanning, you know? And I, I think it's funny that like the character, I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be played this way, but goddamn, dude, like how obsessed with his hair is he? Like it drives <laughs> me nuts. And that's, in, that's also that's my favorite thing about it too, but it drives me crazy. I'm going to say in his defense about the hair. So this morning I tried to <laughs> go for a little romance and my wife was she's like, you know what? It's too early. I'm not in the mood right now. <laughs> so we just started the cuddle. And then she started to play with my quarantine beard. And she's like, your beard is like really luxurious right now and thick. I'm like, yeah, it is. And next thing you know, like we were reenacting, you know, we were reenacting the scene from the hitchhiker that opens it up. So, you know, it, <laughs> see, I, I thought you were going to go even crazier with that. Like first thought to my head when you said we were reenacting, I was I thought you were going to say like Monsters Ball or something. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Shit. No, it's not that bad. She even threw money at me after, which always. I just, just, I just See, I can't wait to talk thing. about that part, the hitchhiker mm-hmm. part. Because, I mean, you know, I just got to say it right now because it's on my mind. I'll probably forget it. But how many gigolos actively <laughs> read Stephen King novels? Oh, yeah. yeah. A fair amount. Like, I, I remember that. I was just I think that this morning when I rewatched it, I was like, man, that Jiglo like, is in the middle of reading Stephen King's It. Like, it's on his bedpost. You know? Like, yeah. he, he charges, what, $180 for six orgasms, and he has the time to read It? That's a fucking long book. That is a very <laughs> long book. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, Sam Whitemore and his hair, that is something else, basically. Have we counted how many times he mentions it? It's How long did it take him to grow it? Seven years? Is that what he said? I think you're oh, right. Lord. I think it was seven. He was either seven or nine. What's <laughs> funny is we asked if anyone had questions for this episode, and in true fashion, Matt Brimmer had had a good one, and he just said his hair later paid. So where do we stand on that one? I think it got him laid because like hair that pretty can only do that. Nobody, nobody's gonna cast him because he's gonna get to Hollywood and they'd be like, dude, you're not even Native American and this is the '80s. Like, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Terry, that goes to you. Paid or laid? Uh, <laughs> uh, definitely not laid. <laughs> really? Oh. No. Not my type. Brian, you're Brian, you've shaved your head, so let me ask you. Paid or laid? Oh well I uh I voted for laid. I voted for laid also. Okay. There we go. There we go. That's all he got. But you notice kidding. that when he cut his hair, Bill Tinch came out of it. So you know That's maybe true. it looked like a bad wig. Oh, it's everything about that character. That and his two friends. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to say like, you know, stick to your own like subculture of people but like that character would not hang out with that dude that just makes like was it like pig sounds and like like grabs his crotch right it's it's it feels so weird at least the kids on the raft as Mm -hmm. bad as they are they kind of seem like they'd hang out you know these guys like what how what was the gang initiation for those three kids (laughs) (laughs) i don't know um but this is like an example of like the movie feeling padded out because you lose two segments that were planned for it. Because instead of being like a tight 
15, 16 minute long short movie. It's closer to like 25 minutes. And you literally feel that town dying when you're in the store for that long. And you can just feel it dying around you. Yeah, everything felt elongated. The 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 uh, the robbery was was just so long for me. I was like, I kept checking the time. I was like, this has to like mm-hmm. pick up because it's just it should be tense. There should be like some tension there, and there's absolutely none mm-hmm. um, because there's just so much of padding. Yeah. And I, I I felt that way through the entire segment. Um, to be perfectly honest, and I I didn't even feel that the beginning part was that that interesting. And I was I took notes that like. Martha seems really racist. <laughs> she really does. Dude, you're, you're too good yeah, for these people, she tells yeah. her husband. Yeah. And then later, you and your people have certainly proved me wrong. Like, good God. Yeah. It's like, and all it took was a necklace. All, right. Which, as Jerry pointed out, probably isn't going to give him much money. No. <laughs> like, that's the no. kind of necklace my mom would have sold when she had, like, her, her, her flip-flop island yeah. shop. <laughs> so, do you know when like when your kids like make you a gift for like Mother's Day or Father's Day and they make you this jewelry and you open it up and you're like, oh, that's really great, honey. Like, I really appreciate it. I'll wear this forever. And, and you, you wear it, it away. on Mother's Day. Yeah. And then you like throw it away. Uh, <laughs> or if you want to be a real bastard, you break it in front of them like a day later. And you're like, I think of you. Do better. <laughs> so, um, that's kind of what it was like. It was just not good. I think, well, this segment, it just kind of sits it doesn't sit well with me for many reasons. Uh, I mean, well, Terry, like you're, you, like you say, Martha comes off very racist. Uh, mm-hmm. That and I mean, the character of Sam is very weird that that Colt McAllen played him. You know, it feels kind of it feels like you're watching something and you shouldn't. And I don't I don't mean like a like I mean that in like a very insensitive kind of way. Yeah. That and it it just feels like. It feels like it kind of uses Native American mythology as kind of a gimmick. Like mm-hmm. watching watching this yeah. this morning, everything about it like just kind of felt like something Full Moon would make today. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know exactly. what I mean. And like, yeah, right? Yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, but it, it just feels weird, and it, it you know uh, this movie's fun to me, but this is the one segment that I yeah. I, I just wouldn't mind not being in it. I, I would say on the positive note for this segment, the practical effect of Chief Woodenhead coming to life is still really cool. Mm-hmm. Like yep. coming off that um, stump and then coming down, like that still to me looks really cool. And I know you don't get a lot of him in here, and I think the more you would have seen him, the more it would have been exposed overall. Um, but like that first, first few moments are pretty killer. I do like that. Yeah, I was watching a back, uh, behind the scenes thing on on the special effects, and they were talking about how they had hired a mime to be inside the suit, and you mm-hmm. can like tell because it, it's a very physical performance, and it yeah, it's not used that much, and you can probably if it was used more, you'd probably be able to see the seams a bit more, but uh, mm-hmm. it's a I, I I thought that was the most effective aspect of it. Although I will have to say I wondered how close all three of them lived because that man, that wooden head did not walk very fast. No. Dude, right. And he seemed to be everywhere. He was like the prototype for, uh, you know, later era Jason. Yeah. Yeah. He could right. just kind of appear out of nowhere. I think, I think I, if you, I know Ted white was in there. Yeah. 
I think if you can accept the fact that a um, dime store Native American statue can come to life to exact vengeance on people, then you can accept the fact that it can maybe just morph wherever it needs to go. You know, <laughs> I think. Or he got like an Uber ride or something to each. I draw well, the line there. That, no, yeah. I can't tell. <laughs> I also like. I mean, we haven't talked about it yet, but it kind of goes in and out. I think that the first segment and the wraparound are are two parts of it that just kind of, as a viewer for me, it, it, like run the risk of like taking me out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I mean, I I think when you have that wraparound and at first it's in live action and you're like, okay, well this is kind of fun you know the you know he's throwing newspapers that's literally all he's doing but hey i'll see where it goes and then it gets into this cartoon this like animated stuff that's like very like saturday uh, morning cartoons yeah that that or or like you know the old like 70s lord of the rings animated Mm -hmm. film you know like Mm -hmm. like this is something like fritz the cat would be you know like like the animation it just it takes me out of it so like right from the beginning you know, you kind of have these two things that kind of make you feel like, well, well what happened? You know, because yeah. Creepshow was like, you know. The animation was great in Creepshow. Um, it, it really tied into the the kind of EC comic like vibe mm-hmm. of the of the, the comic books. And this mm-hmm. just felt like it just felt cheap. The whole thing just felt really cheap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like that the creep talks in this one. And I do like the creep kind of introducing each segment um he had that, balls for a chin <laughs> well yeah true <laughs> true and the elongated <laughs> nose so um there you go well, that's what i noticed so. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome that, that, that you know that sums up creep show too right now <laughs> balls for a chin but um, like the first film had this kind of, even though the segments were very different, they had this kind of like similar tone. They felt yes. like they were taken straight out of EC Comics, whereas yeah. Creepshow 2, it tries to invoke that, but it just doesn't. It feels like a, an anthology that would come out today where it's just decent anthology segments thrown into one movie. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't yeah. have that common thread, even though the wraparound yeah. tries to have that. Yeah, that's what I noted, too, is, like, the feel of the EC Comics feel is now really gone from Creepshow 2, that you don't have, like, Creepshow did some really cool things, like, you would have some of the um, film take part in these, like, comic panels, and you would have, like, mm-hmm. it would cut to this really garish, like, blue or bright red lighting to give you that kind of four color look to it overall. And you would get these like really exaggerated reaction shots like you would get out of a comic. Those are stripped out of this. And that's not really a budget thing. That's really like a creative decision. And I think it does hurt the movie a little bit. No, totally, totally. Uh, All right. Luckily, oh, sorry. Oh, no, you first. No, I was going to say, you know, luckily I, I feel like the movie is saved. Uh, so much by the second segment. Yes, uh, that's right. It's okay. it's yep. it's a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. I mean there are definitely issues with that one too. Yeah. Uh, but but it's it's a segment that feels closer to what the original film was going for. Mm-hmm. And you know I think if there's one segment in this movie, and just in my opinion, uh, if there's one segment, actually it's two. Uh, 
between the raft and the hitchhiker, those are the only parts of this movie that just feel like creep show to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's totally fair. I'm I'm with you on that actually. Yeah. Yeah, and the raft is based on a Stephen King short story. It first appeared in uh, Men's Magazine Gallery, uh, and then was collected into Skeleton Crew. Um, and I think we talked a little bit last time about how there were so many um, horror, science fiction, and fantasy writers that were able to get like a um, little like fledgling source of income writing short stories for porno mags, mm-hmm. which to me is incredible. No, there's a really great chapter on that kind of stuff in uh, in the book that uh, Kayla Janice uh, put out called Satanic Panic mm-hmm. about like all kinds of like different stories having to do with you know various horror kind of things that were put into like Playboy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I always fuck up her name. Uh, is it Kayla uh, Kayla Janice? I believe you are correct. Yeah, she runs uh, the Miskatonic. Uh, school yes and uh, an amazing writer like probably one of my favorite writers around uh, a really great book about the satanic panic era of the 80s called satanic panic and she talks about kind of short stories being in playboy too she's also uh, a terrific curator of like weird animated shorts like every year for the boston underground film festival for about like six or seven years now she has like put together these like three hour long blocks of cartoons from the 60s 70s 80s and 90s um and and we it's basically this really fun block of 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 short cartoons that you go in eat a ton of cereal and you get these this really warped stuff you wouldn't even think of so she does a really good job curating that that kind of uh, that and then running the risk of this becoming a kayla janice like fan episode uh she wrote this exceptional book called house of psychotic women that I would yes. I would recommend everybody picking up that, and she's currently working on a documentary about folk horror. Boy, so oh. definitely look her up. Great stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, back to the creep show. You know, yeah, like what you're saying, Mike. Uh, in the '80s, especially, I mean, short stories were everywhere, and a lot of those magazines, like Playboy, where you know you'd have the dudes lying and saying, you know, reach for the articles. Some of them did because there were some fucking good stories mm-hmm. in those. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, have you guys read this one? Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, who would like to break down, give a quick synopsis of the raft for the folks who, you know, have not seen this? Uh, I mean, I'll I'll do it if no one wants to. Uh, basically, it's a group of uh, I think they're supposed to be teenagers, but they look mm-hmm. like they're in their thirties. Uh, you know, they go out for a day. In the book, they're know. college kids. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. cool. You know, they go out for the day kind of swimming in the very cold water just to go hang on on a raft. And there's this kind of almost – I don't even know how to – like what exactly – I can't remember if it mentions it in the story. But there's kind of like this oozy kind of substance in the water that kind of feels something kind of out of like – almost like Lovecraft-like. Yeah. And I noticed that you put that in the notes, which is great. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, almost like a Lovecraft kind of like monster or alien or something like that. Basically, it absorbs you and has this kind of like tarish kind of stuff that pulls you in and like like just devours you. And it it's such an interesting story. And even with its its uh, faults and its flaws, I find this one incredibly yeah. interesting to me. 
So Terry, remind me. I I have not read this one in a long time, but I seem to remember there being like almost this kind of like sirens call to this thing, and it would be filled like it would go from like really dark black to being filled with all these hypnotic colors yes. that would kind of lure its victims in. Correct? Yes. That uh, that um that's something that you they kind of show you a little bit when um when Rachel like reaches over she seems to be mm-hmm. like really fond of the the ooze and doing something that she probably shouldn't do mm-hmm. and in the in the short story there's like a i i don't remember exactly how they what what they call it but it's basically like it turned into like this colorful hypnotic thing that was like mm-hmm. oh kind of lulling them into a safe sense of uh calmness and uh yeah that's that's something that um, i think was kind of missing from this uh adaptation just that one moment of of her reaching over yeah that and you go from like this very colorful thing kind of in in the short story to basically you know glad trash bags mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, yes yeah. <laughs> like it's funny to watch it you was know? it that part has not aged well for me no. No. and i remember this bit being really scary as a kid and i think again speaking of nostalgia i remember being terrified of that effect when I was younger and then watching it as an adult, you're like, it's a pool tarp. Someone yeah. is literally pulling like a pool tarp on a string around right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there are moments still, there's still moments in the segment that I think are kind of scary. I mean, mm-hmm. especially to kids. I mean, when it attacks, I think that makeup yes. and all the designs of that, mm-hmm. it works so well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but I, I think for me, uh, uh, something that kind of pulls me out, I think it's performances that and yeah. like the, the writing, like uh, one of my favorite tropes in horror is when they get the wrong people to play roles. <laughs> like, like, like one of them is Poncho and he looks like he's like a jock, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, kind of like spider in Halloween five. It's like this kind of like crusty preppy looking <laughs> white dude, you know, like or Ted Raimi as a gangster and dark man. Like, it doesn't make sense, but, like, I I think the acting, it, it almost feels like uh, film students, you know? It almost feels like, like improv class in this, in this sure. one. Like, I, I enjoy it, but the performances are so, they're either over the top or they're very wooden in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at one point, like, I think it's Deke threatens to punch out um, Laverne. He's like, yeah. you know, I'm gonna, like, he's, he's like, it's like, whoa. like, he escalates very quickly. And he's like, I'm going to smoke th- you, Laverne. Yeah, he says yeah. smoke. Like, like, I don't know. He's His name, I think, is Poncho or something like that. Or no, the other guy's Poncho. But, yeah, like, well, that's what they. Is, they, it, is that how people talk to them? Like, <laughs> growing up in the Central Valley, like, we had gangsters. When they say they're going to smoke you, you better fucking run. Like, they're going to shoot you. Like, <laughs> is he going to punch or is he going to pull out a gat? Like, um but yeah there are some really good bits of this like when uh rachel gets sucked in to it and then pops out from under the water and it kind of looks like the poster from the evil dead like the way she's reaching out it was really reminiscent of that and she's just screaming it hurts like that's what sells it for me hurts yeah that's almost like uh you know that he's killing me in in Mm -hmm. final chat you know and and to me yeah and it has that sort of it, it evokes something similar where, you know, where where it's just not only is it terrifying, but it's painful. It's yeah. funny that, that you mentioned the final chapter uh, because 
one of the similarities between the final chapter and this movie is how oblivious filmmakers were to the health of their actors. Mm-hmm. You know, you in, in yeah. final chapter, Joe Zito was so locked into, uh, I forget her name, uh, you know, getting killed in the raft. Right. You know, that like she was freezing. She had hypothermia, I think almost pneumonia or something like that. And he was still fucking like shooting until Ted White basically said he'd walk. Yeah. And I believe that yeah. didn't the same thing happen this one with one of the actors? Yeah. Yeah. The character that plays, I think it's not Randy. I'm awful with names. The character that plays is Randy. Yeah, it was Randy. Randy. Yeah, it was Randy. He was basically like it was freezing out there, and they thought he had hypothermia. And the crew was like, "Well, we got to keep going here. You know, we're losing light. Let's just wrap it up." And I think uh, Gornick recognized really. I mean, to his credit, Gornick realized like this is good. Like we need. He actually brought him to get treatment. Um, and I think he had there was a couple weeks worth of recovery time for the actor, and then they were able to go back and finish it. But he basically got hypothermia being out there in his speedo in the freezing, um, freezing cold water, which who knew that would happen, right? Well, I mean, it seems like the 80s, I mean, it was huge for that kind of stuff. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, know, I grew up knowing the story of the Twilight Zone movie, but like watching cursed films recently, Mm -hmm. oh my God. Yeah. Like, you know, for anyone that hasn't seen that episode, you know trigger warning like they actually show the accident mm-hmm. so if if that's gonna bother you don't watch that but it seemed like the safety was just a non-issue right. all around it, like it, it baffles me yeah no absolutely it was definitely a more especially in a movie like you know creep show too like where who are a lot of these performers and they're you're gonna get away with a lot more than you normally would in on a film set um because you know you kind of have a little bit more sway you have a lot of young people trying to get their big break and they might be more willing to take some risks that they otherwise wouldn't if they were older smarter and maybe a bit more established yeah and uh, another thing about this segment that always kind of rubbed me wrong and uh, dude again on your notes you mentioned it too is when uh, when right when right when Laverne gets rubbed the wrong way by Randy, is that it? Yeah, like it's so Ooh. it's it's just oh, so it, sketchy it's... and and we live in a time where you know there's like very non PC dudes out there like crying foul because people are reevaluating Porky's and stuff like that or Revenge mm-hmm. of the Nerds. But looking back, like I was I was just thinking about Revenge of the Nerds recently, and it's just like okay, Lewis, the main guy. Puts on a Darth Vader costume and gets the main girl in Revenge of the Nerds to sleep without him, which sleep with him without her knowing who it is. Mm-hmm. You know, they break into women's uh, bathrooms to see him naked, and then you have stuff like Creepshow too. It's like as in 2020, how can we not reevaluate that stuff in right. some yeah. form? You know what I mean? Like I think it's, it's almost like our duty to reevaluate that stuff and shine a light on like maybe that wasn't that acceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think the stuff. Like it's it's so just like nonchalant and casual in films like this, right. and that and I think that's what rubs me wrong the most is is how just like whatever it is about it. Well, what's striking too is if I remember correct in the book, it's a consensual encounter between the two performers at that point, and I think yeah. they had spent like a big plot point of the book, if I remember, is them trying to keep 
their feet and all their limbs away from the cracks in the boards, mm-hmm. basically. Yep. And they finally give in and have sex, and that's when the uh, character of Laverne is like pulled through by the um, oil slick monster. Here, it's just straight up like she's asleep. And he sexually assaults her. And it's yep. not it's meant to be played as so, creepy. It's, yeah, it's just, oh. It's so out of nowhere. It's And, mm-hmm. you know, watching this with my son, it was like, okay, this is absolutely not <laughs> the way you behave yes. ever, right? You know that, right? And he was like, yeah, of course, you know. But um, mm-hmm. it was, yeah, I had actually forgotten about it, and but seeing it, Again, and not only that, but with my nine-year-old, it was like, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I don't understand why they – I don't understand why you would change it because it works so well in the in the short story because mm-hmm. they're basically holding on to each other because they're freezing. Right. And it's that mm-hmm. kind of like that closeness, that kind of like, you know, everything is going to hell and then – kind of the sex drive takes over and it just goes from there and then it turns into something even more horrific whereas like here it, it's it's just horrible the entire entire time yeah, uh, yeah. and this and is some, the, the character you're supposed to root for to make right, it in the end right well and the other the, that was one thing that was changed another thing that i noticed and i probably the only one that picked up on this but this short story has a lot of homoeroticism in it mm-hmm. that's like missing from this uh this adaptation mm-hmm. like because it's it's from randy's perspective in in the the short story as it is here where he's like you know supposed to be our quote-unquote hero even though he uh, even though he but, takes his cues from harvey yeah. <laughs> yes mm-hmm. and like I, I i i went to reread this after i watched this because i was like am i remembering this incorrectly and there's a part in the in the short story where when they're first leaving the car and it says deke ran on now only wearing bikini briefs which Okay, and the muscles in his back and buttocks working gorgeously, and this is from Randy's perspective. Like mm-hmm. he he wants to fuck Deke. Yeah, yeah. So why did they put that, that in the short? Too. Why did they put that in the movie? Yeah, like uh, there's like so many little little hints throughout this little short story mm-hmm. that while Randy and Deke are you know their best friends, like they have nicknames for each other: Batman and Robin, Poncho and and uh, Cisco. Like they have all these cute little nicknames but like randy wants to fuck deke he's mm-hmm. jealous that that deke is getting or that this girl's getting with deke right yeah and that's completely stripped out of this short movie like none of that in here see that yeah, that explains no a lot of his aggression in it mm-hmm. you know and I, I feel like if that would have been in the film adaption that would have explained a lot of that aggression and that kind of like frustration and anger that he has in a lot of it yeah, he's because in a lot a good portion of the short story is is Randy being so upset with um with the girls being all over all over Deke, and mm-hmm. like it's kind of played in that kind of way of like well it makes sense that Rachel would be but Laverne's supposed to be my girl but there's an undercurrent there of the way that like he describes G- Deke or like the way Deke looks at him that there is this kind of like more than just platonic mm-hmm. love going on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That he wants to take the place of Laverne and yeah. just can't. Mm-hmm. Hmm. No, yeah, I know, and it's been like a long time since I've read it, so I'd be interested to go back and see if I can pick up on that. And I just remember in that story too, there's this phrase that's uttered over and over, like "Do you love?" And I think that mm-hmm. goes throughout the short stories in that 
collection, like that phrase is used over and over, and it never really pays off or ties into anything, if I recall. But, you know, it's just King trying to build some worlds there or draw some connections there. Yeah. Well, and I, I kind of think that like at that point, because um, if I remember correctly, the uh, the love thing is also something that gets echoed in Randy's head mm-hmm. towards the end. And mm-hmm. it's where he's like contemplating suicide. Um, right. And I it, it's I think it's one of those moments of like someone kind of grappling with the fact that the person they love is now dead <laughs> and mm-hmm. like he doesn't see any future for himself. Yeah. It's yeah, it's definitely. it's a very bleak mm-hmm. ending in the in the story. I mean, it's it's bleak in the in the film ad- adaptation, but the way it's played out in the story, he just sort of gives in and stares at the hypnotic. Mm-hmm. Ooze, well, if and I that's remember, like it, the end. if I remember it correctly, because it's probably been at least a decade since I've read the short story. Yeah, it is it is very bleak, and and we do get that in in the adaptation, like you're saying, uh, adaptation. But uh, what is missing from that is it, it's almost kind of silly in the movie. Yeah, you know where it just kind of comes up and gets him and yells at it, and it, it's just it's kind of hokey looking, and mm-hmm. I don't even mean that as an insult. I mean, like I said, I enjoy the movie, but like it doesn't have that kind of uh, shock. It doesn't have that kind of uh, you know, it doesn't have that effect the, the same way that the King's story does. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely like the ending of this short I think fits the tone of like what we think of Creep Show overall. Oh, it's yeah. Like, you know, you have the world's slowest chase in the water um, <laughs> with like him swimming and the tarp being pulled very slowly towards him. And at the moment that Randy thinks that he's um, beat the thing and is yelling at it, you know, rather than just like hightailing it out of there as fast as he can. Right. Um, he starts screaming at it and, and then it's like sucked away by it. And I love that little shot at the end like if the camera pulls back and you see the sign covered by weeds that just says like absolutely no swimming yeah 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 those are always like fun little things mm-hmm. to tack on at the end mm-hmm. all right anything more on the raft i think i'm good with this one i'm, I'm want to get on the hitchhiker yeah let's do that the hitchhiker all right brian or terry what do you guys want to tackle the hitchhiker for me uh, sure. Um, so we have Annie Lansing, who is uh, getting fucked really good by a gigolo, um, <laughs> who uh, six is coming orgasms. <laughs> six orgasms. Yeah. Twenty five a pop. Not that bad. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's married to a wealthy attorney and she realizes that she has spent way too much time with with uh, this gigolo and that she needs to get home to avoid suspicion. And so she hops in her car and she's coming up with ways of like basically lying to her, her husband. And she ends up hitting a Dover bound hitchhiker. And then she just takes off and leaves the body there. And then the body starts uh, following her and want says, thanks for the ride lady. And then it becomes a one-on-one matches she's trying to escape uh her past basically perfect yeah and this is perfect perfect little description this is my favorite segment of the movie overall and i think in no small part because it feels the closest to what we got in the first creep show 
Like yeah. this would fit right in, not only in terms of like the really dark humor with it, but also the character getting um, comeuppance because of their own yeah. really hubris, hubris basically, in their own kind of walking over other people they're done in by their own devices so i think that really fits in not only with the first creep show but really kind of the whole modus operandi of like the ec comics so that's why i think this works really well if you really think about it i mean as far as the whole comeuppance thing that was so big in ec comics i mean this is probably the only segment in the entire movie that has that Mm -hmm. whereas every segment in the first one did i mean if you think about it like what is the moral of of the the first story that if you shoot uh, uh if you shoot a shopkeeper his indian statue is going to kill you like mm-hmm. you know or or the second one second one if you go swimming you're going to get killed where's the comeuppance in right. that you know and that was well, what was that was so great about ec comics and this one has that in like mm-hmm. nonstop to be fair to this day i've never shot like a dime store native american statue so maybe I that did learn true. a lesson. That from is true. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, but this is the segment that just feels, I mean, like you said, it feels like it could have been in the first film. And mm-hmm. it, feel, it feels like it would have been in, you know, A Tells from the Crypt or Vault of Horror or any of those comics. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is one that just feels 100% like that. And for so many reasons, you get a protagonist that you think is a protagonist at first that ends up kind of being the antagonist, mm-hmm. you know? Like yeah. she is not the hero in this, no. you know, she deserves what's coming to her because mm-hmm. more than like more than doing the right thing, she just wants to get away with it. And the whole segment is a series of this character making mistakes and trying to lie her way out of it and get mm-hmm. out of it, you know. And to be honest, maybe she should have just divorced her husband if right. she's getting banged that good by a Stephen King reading Gigolo. You right. know, like that's like, my favorite oh, dude, kind of I gigolo. Mean, right. I mean, maybe he'll cut her a deal if they start dating and it won't be twenty five bucks a well, pop. Maybe it'll be like seven fifty. That to me, that scene, like rewatching it is incredibly sad because you can see how smitten she is with him and he's cold. He's like this isn't the rate that we, you know, this isn't what you sh- I, I should be making more than this. Like he's basically negotiating a salary after sex, basically. And yeah. it's, he sees it purely as a transactional um, thing. And he, she is so, and you can see it in the performance of, of Lois Ch- uh, Childies here. She's so smitten with him. And he's just like, yeah, I'm going to have to ask for more money at this point. She um, is, and but she like, doesn't even see it. She is, but she also is so obsessed with everything being a transaction. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she's driving and she's like talking about, you know, oh, well, this is broken. This is going to cost this much. Aha, uh-huh, yeah. look at this. That's going to be 4000 mm-hmm. maybe four, $3,000, Miss Lansing. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, you know, concussion, that's going to be $25,000, $27,000. Like, she wants to, she feels that she can just pay her way out of everything. True. And that her money is what's going to basically say, and mm-hmm. it's not even her money because she's, you know, married to her very rich. Uh, mm-hmm. attorney and she just is so obsessed with this idea that even at the very end when her when like <laughs> when like she's going to die she's trying to pay her way out right the entire well, time that, that ends i mean it's kind of a shitty way to deal with sex workers 
I mean, yeah. this guy's this guy's doing a service, you know. He has bills to pay, and he's if good at is, it. Yeah, right. Very good, according to her. And then if it's in nineteen, <laughs> if it's in nineteen eighty-seven, just get technical, nerdy here. If it's in nineteen eighty-seven, and he's a Stephen King fan, he needs to make the money because Dark Tower Two: Misery Tommyknockers just came out that year. Two years Those later, you get the dark half. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he has a yeah. lot of books to buy. He, he needs does have a lot of books to buy. <laughs> To be fair, in terms of how she's treating the sex worker, he basically tries to up his price after the fact. So, to my understanding, they had agreed, they had an agreed upon, and he even said introductory rate. Well, you kind of need to make that clear ahead of time, don't you? Okay, but like, how? Okay, take this into consideration. Okay, so what? How many orgasms? Six at a time. But are you are you saying that like sex work is on a per <laughs> orgasm basis? Like, well, according to her, twenty five bucks a twenty five bucks a pop. And if you've been doing this for a while, deal. if okay, say they do it once a week, mm-hmm. they have this meeting once a week, and they've doing it, they've been doing it for a year. How many orgasms have been in that year? Shouldn't he be able to extend his price after a certain point? That's that's 312 orgasms a year. Let's say that he takes off two weeks for like Christmas or, you know, summer vacation. <laughs> he's getting 300 orgasms a year. Now, All I know is he's getting crazy. gypped for $150. Dude, right? question, is it a buffet where it's all the orgasms you can have? For what, like, Is he a gigolo equivalent of the old country buffet? Where well, basically guaranteed like, you bring your plate up to the orgasm corral and you can have as many as you want. Is it, you know, like a family style restaurant where each orgasm has a price to it? That's the issue I have right now. I yeah, think Brian but, has left us. No, I'm, I'm with you. No, like, see, I understand that. But guaranteed six, while he's trying to read a novel that is 1,138 pages long. Like this guy deserves a raise. I agree. <laughs> but if he wants that raise, he should ask for it. I'm going to use an analogy that I used when I used to sell hi-fi. I used to like sell um, home theaters and design home theaters for a living way back in my retail days. And I would sit on these giant subwoofers and I would like wax wax rubsonic with my clients. Be like I would design like. The television, stereo, the speakers, the cables, all the stuff to protect it. And let's say it costs like five thousand dollars. And they would say, like, I'll take it four grand. You know, I would I'm like, when you go to the grocery store and you get your cart, you go to the dairy aisle, you get your milk, you get your cheese, you get your butter, then you get your meats for the week, you buy your chicken, you buy your fish, you buy your turkey tips, you get your sauces, you get your grains, you go to get your fruits and veggies. <laughs> You put all of that on the conveyor belt at the end of the day, and the grocer looks at you and says, that'll be $150. You don't say, I'll take it for 100 bucks." No, you have an agreed-upon price. This is what stuff costs. If he wanted more money, he should have said, look, it's going to be 50 bucks an orgasm now. That was my introductory now and it see that they have a long established client relationship he needs to say to her it's gonna cost more if you want to pop that's all i'm saying i'm not saying that like 
not saying he hasn't earned more money. What I'm saying is he has to ask for it. It's not fair to go to someone after the fact and say, you and she pays them like she throws money at him at the end, and he does get paid. But I think you have to be upfront about that. It's all I'm saying. At what point, I, at some point, did he say, yeah, but you were Holly Goodhead in Moonraker, and I'm the one giving <laughs> the good head. Shouldn't I get a raise? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I love this. I love this segment. So, <laughs> this, this, by the way, when we were watching this with my daughter, sparked a conversation of like, well, what's an orgasm and why oh, can she no. have six of them? Oh, and luckily, my wife didn't turn to her and say, well, I've never had one, so <laughs> ask your dad. <laughs> so that would have been, would have been terrible. Um, we and we had a little conversation. Well, when people have sex, then it's usually what happens when you feel really good. And then she started asking about, like, well, what about butt stuff? Like, what can you what? put in your butt, and why what can was you that do in it? This segment? And it wasn't, but she was really curious. So the butts are very elastic, and like you can, you know, stretch them out, and things can go there, and it can be very pleasurable. And I'm like, this is just not the conversation I want to have on family movie night. When, but so thanks a lot. But then she was like, do Then she's like, do people put food up their butt? And I'm like, would you please stop? (laughs) See, that's that's funny. That's funny that she said that because we were, I had we had to go get essentials yesterday. And, you know, my kids stay in the car with their mask and I just run in really quickly and get it, you know, while my wife's in the car. And my daughter was like, I I, I guess she just doesn't understand common sense sometimes. So she's like, well, when we get food, if I'm wearing my mask right now, how do I eat it? And I was just joking. I go, well, obviously you sit on it like you have to eat the fries with your butt. And she thought I was like serious for at least a good two minutes. And I was like, no, why would you do that? You know, I guess food can do it. So. Who can go on? Oh, boy. So we have spent a lot of time talking about the transactional. <laughs> yes, we sure have. <laughs> so, which, which is not the point of the segment, but. It's not? It was right. not. No. Oh. The poor Hitchhiker. So what do we, I think what I really like, too, is the effects on the Hitchhiker, too. Like the, and the thanks for the ride. It's funny and it's gross. And it's, it's just so like, gross. And how he gets. No, good. He just gets more and more fucked up looking throughout yeah. the the uh, short. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. That it's it's really cool how uh, as the as the short goes on, the the makeup gets more and more like prevalent mm-hmm. in the design. And honestly, I feel like when you talk about Creep Show too, uh, the Tom Wright doesn't get mentioned enough. He's the mm-hmm. actor that played the Hitchhiker, and that guy has such a huge body of work. I mean, he has been in everything. I'm um, movies. I mean, tons of movies. Uh, I mean, Tales from the Hood is another anthology. It's one of my favorites of all time. He's in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, White Man's Burden, which is a really good, really good movie with John Travolta. Marked for Death. Tons of great movies. Uh, he was in Seinfeld. He was in Tales from the Crypt. I mean, he was. He's such a good actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's in so many good. He's done so many good roles, and I think he's really great in this one. And he went through hell in this role. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't do they, tell. Do didn't tell. they like actual put him in the muffler at some point? <laughs> like when he's hanging off of there. Like, wasn't he? Like, wasn't it actually him doing the, these stunts? If I remember correctly. 
Because there's a lot of – there's an interview with him on, I think, the Arrow release, and he talks about how physically demanding this role was. Mm-hmm. And it's just like he gets put through absolute hell in this movie, and like I, I, I feel like he's just as impressive as as the actress playing you know the lead. And like that line, that thanks for the ride, thanks for the ride, lady, you know, all that stuff gets over and over. And as a kid, it annoyed me. But as an adult, it's so much fun to watch because it's constantly the voice in her head. You know, it's constantly like her losing her grip on reality. And that's all she hears. So it's kind of fun to hear that over and over as she loses it and, you Mm -hmm. know, makes poor choice after poor choice. I always like that uh, kind of story where you don't. 100 percent know for sure if this is really happening or if this is just in her mind because of her guilt that is my i i absolutely love that kind of story and that kind of storytelling and uh it's it just works so great here i would agree yeah i definitely think that's the case with this because you don't uh someone pointed out and i forget who it was and I apologize that I can't attribute it because it's not – I did not know this. Um, when the hitchhiker licks her in the garage, there's like a red smear of blood on her blouse. But when mm-hmm. her husband finds her in the garage uh, and finds her corpse there, like that's gone. Oh. Uh, and it's a nice little detail that adds to like what really happened to it. And I do like that it's up in the air and you don't really know. Oh, no, me too. I think it's great. Uh, just that kind of uncertainty of, okay, is this really going on or is it in her head? And, I, you know, me personally, I've always thought it was in her head. You know, I think she killed him and that was the death of her, you mm-hmm. know, like right. that's when that's when she broke, you know, mentally. And, you know, she got what was coming to her, yeah. you know, and I remember growing up, there was a story, a local story of a woman that kind of basically did the same thing. She hit someone mm-hmm. and, like, dragged his body, you know, all the way home and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, so, I mean, and I don't know if that was the basis of it or, you know, maybe it was just coincidence. Well, but... there are there are similar stories to this. Like, the Twilight Zone has a very famous um, yes. uh, segment where they have, like, a hitchhiker, and she basically keeps seeing... He doesn't terrorize her in quite the same physical way, but he keeps appearing before her and it has like a very supernatural uh, ending to it. Um, So I think it's like, that would be the basis of it. Um, So yeah, it's like that kind of tale that, um, you know, and then there's that movie with Mia Servini, I think it is, or stuck stuck. Yes. Where she hits the hitchhiker and he's stuck in her windshield and she drives home and he's alive and he, she basically lets him die. That is based on a true story is my understanding. And how many people fun. are assholes? Jesus. Like, <laughs> there are a lot that seems like a common thing. There. I can never a, hit someone. Yeah, I have not either. And I'm scared, you know, that I will one day, like that's one of my biggest fears is like one day I'm going to accidentally hit someone with a car. Like, and, and it's not rational. Like I'm a pretty good driver, but dear God, um, I am terrified of like one day hitting someone with a car. I, in in 2002, I was driving and a Poison the Well CD fell on the floorboard mm-hmm. and I bent over to pull it, pick it back up and accidentally hit someone in the back of their oh. car. And it was like a old senior citizen lady. And I felt so awful. And yeah. like, she was like, oh, it's okay. And her husband fixed it. It didn't, nothing happened whatsoever. But like, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy how 
fast those little things happen, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to share a confession here. I, uh, <laughs> since we're doing this, I was uh, <laughs> like 24, 25 and I was, I was driving and it was in the summer and there was a really hot guy mowing and I was shirtless <laughs> and I was paying attention to him and I backed into, and I drove into the back of an old lady's car and oh. that was, Oh, embarrassing as fuck and he had to come over and give me a cell phone because i didn't have a cell phone at this time uh-huh. and so that was like super super embarrassing for me because i'm like did you end up dating you're the him? fault no unfortunately oh i know that would have been a great meet cute i know right <laughs> yeah no no that's uh yeah mm-hmm. that's <laughs> um, but fun. but also as as a gay person i gotta say i stand uh lois Charles's performance as annie oh uh, she's awesome I, I love a bad bitch and mm-hmm. she she is enough there's enough campiness to her performance that like mm-hmm. you kind of like I, I mean you don't you obviously aren't siding mm-hmm. with her but like she's very watchable and like I, I just I love the line where she's like you're seeing things bitch <laughs> she just keeps yeah. like trying to mm-hmm. prep, her, prep herself up to what is going on and I just oh, I love it I she's think a more sophisticated Billy from the crate segment she's like building without being so crass yes i i think that that's a good sign of of uh just good writing and a good performance uh mm-hmm. you know like anytime i'm talking to my kids about movies i'll be like oh god that guy was such a bastard in that movie i love it and they're like well he's a bad guy he was a jerk and like well he did a good job then yeah. like like it's fun to watch these kind of antagonists with charisma you know, yeah. with with personality to them, and no, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think she's great in this one. Yeah, absolutely. That being said, Billy would not have paid for six orgasms. I think she's the kind of woman that <laughs> would demand that Gigolo pay her. So, and she would have gotten that money. But um, no, Lois is is Charles is, is fantastic in this because um, you, even though she's the villain, you don't hate her per se. I think you right. still wanna. You want to see you're going to come. You want to see what's going to end up happening to her, but I don't think you despise her from Jump Street like you would most characters. And what's really sad is seem like a terrible person. Like her husband, you know, like pulls over and tries to help out. You know, he's on his way home. He's just like a lawyer that's you know on his way, and he doesn't come off like an asshole. It's just a sad mismatched couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like I, see. You know, I, I don't know if I'm in the minority of human beings right now because I've read statistics, but mm-hmm. I've never understood, like, infidelity much. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you're unhappy, just leave. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? Like, like it, it's, it's really that easy. Like, it, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's temptation, you know, and nobody's perfect. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not here to judge any of our listeners if they're super into cheating. But, <laughs> you know, maybe. But, uh, I mean, just leave your spouse if you're not happy. Like, right. like you know what I mean? Like, is it worth it paying that much money for six orgasms? When when yes it is actually no uh, but <laughs> that was a pretty good twenty five bucks. That's a pretty good rate. But I'm just saying like like it seems like her whole dilemma could have been fixed had she just you know like I I'm sure that her husband's like big bank account would have been gone mm-hmm. if it didn't work out. But right. I mean, fuck man she'd probably be alive still. I like you know one thing because you see the house at one point and the house is like enormous i mean it's the size of a fucking school um but one little thing like talking about the budget again of this movie that i like is um 
the way it transitions to show that time has passed. Oh, God. It's the exact same thing. It just goes a little wavy. The lighting is the same. Everything is the same. It's just like you have a couple little waves on the screen to show, uh, time has passed. (laughs) Jesus. So that is Creep Show 2. What are our final thoughts on the movie overall? Uh, I, I, like I said, I enjoy it. It's fun. It's not mm-hmm. half as good as the first film. And I feel kind of stupid for saying that, you know, I, I think it's better than the first film a few months ago because I hadn't seen it in a while, but, uh, you know, it is fun and there's definitely issues with it. Like I said, I, I think it's important to reevaluate movies from that time mm-hmm. and put them under a, a new kind of microscope. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I also think you can have fun with films like that still. Uh, you know, The Burning is a movie that bothers me so much, but mm-hmm. I can still watch it, uh-huh. you know? And I think Creepshow 2 is one of those movies. It's not as good as the first film. The budget's lacking, you know? Like, it, it doesn't feel like the first film, but I think it's a fun anthology. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm with you on that for sure, because, you know, uh, watching the two back-to-back especially, uh, you see how much more lacking this one is from the first um, but you know, I, especially those second two, um, for the most part, I should say the second two segments, um, I think are still really entertaining and, uh, it ends on a pretty high note with, with that hitchhiker, um, mm-hmm. uh, segment. Uh, actually it technically ends with that, uh, Ugh. with Venus, giant Venus fly traps, but you know, uh, um, like... we, we can forget about that. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, yeah, know. So... I don't, I don't mind that story. So much, but okay. Yeah. See, yeah. well, we have we have that ending with the Venus flytrap, and yeah. you know, Creepshow Two isn't as good as the first one. But I, I, you know, one thing I'll say about Creepshow Two, leading into Creepshow Three, is you know, in in the words of the great poet's newfound glory, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> great. You know, <laughs> you know, Creepshow Two, as you know, as iffy as it can be at times. It's still, I think, a little fun, and and that Venus flytrap thing—it's silly as hell, but you know, it it works for what it does. I think. Sure. Well, I mean, that is the kind of thing you would buy from from those old EC comic magazines. You would buy things like uh, the the X-ray glasses and the dude. I had Venus sea monkeys. Flytrap <laughs> and on sea monkeys, all that sort of stuff, you know. So, I mean, there's a certain authenticity totally. that uh, brings yeah. in that's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, you know, it's one of those things where I, I I think we've kind of all kind of mentioned this a bit. I, you kind of, when you look back at things that you saw as a kid and you, you remember scenes, like I remember the scene with, uh, with Rachel in the water, you know, I remember the, the black tar, I remember the, the shadow puppetry of the, uh, the chief hacking someone with the axe and the blood splatting on the walls. So like, I had like, fond memories of this with with those but those are really the only things i remembered about the movie and rewatching it uh it's not my favorite um i to be honest i've always been more a fan of the tales from the dark side movie but it's because mm-hmm. i saw it first and it was around that around that time of being like nine or ten and like <laughs> it was just i remember it being more gory i remember it being like you know more like fun um so yeah, I mean, I don't know. This movie is is okay. Uh, I think it's a fun watch. Um, I don't know if I'll. It's one that I will keep going back to though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I would like this. If I would have be even more fond of it if like Pinfalls um, 
was the segment that was swapped out mm. for Chief Woodenhead. And I can get why it wasn't, because you can obviously see, see understand, and understand how much more money just in practical effects alone um, and just paying a cast alone, how much more that would cost to do. Plus, you would have to do, you know, an on-location shoot in a bowling alley would probably right. cost more than a... But um, aside from that, like, The Raft, I think, still holds up pretty well. Um, sexual assault and poor effect aside, it's still a pretty <laughs> chilling story. And it does have those great effects. Like the, I, You know, I didn't mention this, but when the... when your uh, lead gets like sucked through the hole in the planks oh, yeah. of the raft, yeah. Yeah. and you hear that crack, and you see his like leg like just go past his head. Um, that is just like it gives me the shivers. And then well, there's that guttural scream that yes. he does. Yeah. yeah. And then you have like the hitchhiker does end things on a pretty fun note as well. So it's not creep show. It's still a pretty fun anthology movie overall and it's something that i could see breaking out for like if you're doing a themed halloween watch and you want to just do a bunch of fun anthology movies i could see this being part of the rotation overall mm-hmm. all right so that is our talk on creep show 2 terry why don't you let our listeners know what you have coming up on on gaily dreadful and scarred for life like what can we be looking forward to um, yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, right now we're kind of with the quarantine, things have been kind of slow on the site. Uh, it's been kind of hard to be creative, uh, recently. Um, but we, uh, every week I have Troy, um, Gardner's writing on, he goes back to the old, um, Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes? And he uh-huh. and his friend Aaron, um, kind of dig into those every week. Um, I'm doing writing with, uh, with, I'm doing writing. Good Lord. Um, I'm writing with, uh, <laughs> with Joe Lipset, uh, who hosts the horror Queers podcast. We mm-hmm. talk about, um, TV shows right now. We're covering motherland, which is a, a YA thing on, on, uh, freeform mm-hmm. and it's, it's entertaining. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. And then on Scott for life, we're just, I think, uh, I don't know when this episode's going to air, but we have um, the directors of The the Wretched, um, which is coming out in Ooh, May. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be on it, um, and we're hoping to talk with a bunch more in May, and then we have Pride Month coming up, so we're hoping to f- focus a lot on some Excellent. LGBTQ people. And are you planning another fundraiser like you did last year for Pride Month? I know oh that was... Oh, my God. A, mm-hmm. I, yeah, Not I to mean, put I, you on the spot. Do it. Though. I know it's one of those. It's gotten away <laughs> from me, and now it's like you know a couple months away, and I'm kind of panicking about trying to set mm-hmm. something up. So I'm hopeful, but I need to get my button gear. Okay, we'll definitely do that. I mean, um, if you need any help, dude, let us know. Let us know. Right. I appreciate so it. Anything we can do to help promote it or contribute, we're more than happy to do. I'm trying in all honesty with your listeners and your in your um, core audience, one of the things I'm trying to do at the school I am a counselor at is start an LGBT an ally club uh, for sixth grade on up because I've had a number of students actually come out to me oh. over the past year, which is like really sweet. Um, you know, and they're always very casual about it, which I think is like really just feel comfortable. And I'm like, we really need to have like a club for these kids so they feel pretty comfortable. And I just have no idea how to go about in doing that and providing them that sort of safe space. So if you could, if you have any tips or your listeners do, by all means, I am all ears. Yeah. Um, 
So that is going to bring us to the end of Creep Show 2. Here is what we have coming up. So we're trying to stay really busy. Um, last week we posted our table reading of A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I did not think that was going to survive. Like I had to try to download and transcribe the audio like about it 10 times before it actually um would allow me to do it like it would cut out after 30 minutes of downloading um but we I got some sobriety really... cut out 30 minutes after starting that yeah um <laughs> but like that was not fun to edit and i felt so bad for nat uh our narrator who just had to basically read a novel um <laughs> but we i think have decided as of just before this podcast our next script is going to be uh george romero's unfilmed resident evil <gasps> yeah so terry if you want in there's an invite um we are having a lot of fun doing those right now like i am having so much fun it's keeping me sane um it's one of those things to like have that social interaction with people um i think we're going to be doing some commentaries on movies and we're going to try to do more bonus content, all for free. Um, Terry, I know you have said this. I know a few others have said this, and I'm in the same boat. Um, we're producing, I think, some really great content. But because everybody is at home all day yeah. and not in their car commuting to work, our downloads are not where they normally are. No. And I think that's solely because, like, the nature of podcasting is you listen to it in the car or on the subway or when you're at work. And right now I think like we're losing to Netflix and Hulu and things like that, but that's all right. People are going to find the shit later and realize how brilliant it is. But we will keep, <laughs> you know, we will, you are not going to get any other show that is going to do a cost per orgasm. That's right. <laughs> so really, oh, like, God. I mean, that is the content we are committed to bringing to our core audience, which I guess would be deviance. Um, but thank you so much to our listeners, Terry, and thanks to the kind reviews that we've received. Um, I think we're going to try to do some Friday the 13th on Twitch with listeners as well. Yeah. Um, we just did that last night. I joined in with the folks from the keep screaming podcast. So that was a blast. Um, we got into a very heated argument when I said that new nightmare is the worst of the original Elm Street. Hey, hey. We got pretty big. New nightmare is trash. It's just, oh, you know, know what? Dream warriors is trash. Dream <laughs> warriors is trash. Oh yes. 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 Solidarity. Wow. Four is my favorite sequel. Four is the best. Is the best of the sequels. Four right. is the best. Hands down. Four is the best of the entire series. I feel uh, attacked. No. I can't go there, but I can. I can't. I, can I can't take that journey 100% with you. Number one is still my favorite, but four yeah. is a close second. When, when people say that like New Nightmare is like it's the prototype for Scream, and it's like sure, if Scream wasn't any good, absolutely it is. And well, oh wow, Jerry, oh, Jerry. So we're gonna. <laughs> End things on a friendly note right there. And we will be getting spicy. <laughs> the takes are spicy and they are hot. So everybody stay safe, stay at home, wash your hands, tell your loved ones you love them. Otherwise, I guess they wouldn't be their loved ones. Tell the loved ones movie that you love it because it's a fantastic yes. movie. 
because I will not tolerate anything else. Tell the loved ones, the bands, that the bands, <laughs> love them. Uh, and that's it, folks. Uh, have a good night. And thanks for it, Terry. Thanks for joining us. Please come on again. All right. Thanks for the ride. <laughs> <laughs>